Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Praise God. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for you feel that way today so I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday close your eyes sing it one more time today oh so I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a Lift your hands and thank Him one more time today. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, everybody. Good to be in the house of the Lord today. Appreciate so much what we are feeling right now. What we just heard. Thank God for it. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Brother Mefred, for reminding us one more time. And we need to be reminded often. I don't know about you, but I need Him today. I don't feel as though I have already attained. Or we're already perfect. But I'm still following after. Amen. And I also want to... Um, I want to be able to reach that prize someday and I know the Lord will help us if we'll let him he's been helping us last night and today thankful for this good meeting men's meeting appreciate the vision and the burden behind it appreciate brother Alexander and gracious hospitality of this good pastor in church brother Townley for 
making this possible the last three years or so. We've been blessed each time and uh, thankful also for what he has done here today. <clears throat> and last night, I am in the un most unenviable spot in this whole place today. I don't think there is a preacher present that would like to get up here right now. If I thought there was, I'd gladly turn this Bible over to you. Because y'all are standing there looking at me saying, now, now what you going to say? <laughs> We've already been to the top of the mountain. You can't get any higher than Calvary. The magnitude of Calvary. Amen, amen. I, I'm thankful, as the elders said today, we are not in, in competition with each other. So I'm just going to tell you straight out, it's all downhill from here. <clears throat> but uh, uh, I so appreciate not only the way that Brother Medford delivered this message to us and the spirit that it was delivered in, but I am especially thankful because it's true. And it's right. Amen. And um, for those that are from Sulphur that are here, this is a sample of what we're going to hear tomorrow. The Method is going to be preaching to us both services tomorrow. So if you're not from Sulphur, nanny nanny boo boo. <laughs> Eat your hearts out. But uh, looking forward to it already. Appetite's been wedded today. Want some more protein. How about you? And appreciate what we heard last night, Brother Archer and Archer. It sounds like a law firm, Archer and Archer. We heard from the Father. We heard from the Son. And we also heard from the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> So, what can I add today? I have just a little little uh, message I feel the Lord has laid on my heart just to impart to you before we leave today. I promise you I'm not going to take real long. I have not eaten today, so I will quit before I starve, I assure you. But we have all day. Brother Mefford did not have to apologize at all because we have all day. Food's been prepared, is that right? So, you've got hope. That was a message of hope that I just gave you. There's food on the way. But if you will turn to, with me to the book of Ezra, chapter 8, there's a little something here that <clears throat> caught my attention some few years ago, and I, in fact, I even wrote an article about it, and I just felt to go this direction today. Ezra chapter 8, and I want to read beginning with verse number 15. The Bible says, And I gathered them together to the river that runneth to Ahava, and there abode we in tents, three days, and I viewed the people and the priests 
and found there none of the sons of Levi. Now let me pause here a moment and say this as this is at the time of the reconstruction of the temple and of Jerusalem. The previous chapter tells about Ezra coming and he had a letter from the king authorizing him to do this and authorizing him to select those that were needful for this project. And so in chapter 8, it is giving us a rundown of those that came with him. Verse 16, Then sent I for Eliezer, for Ariel, for Shemaiah, and for Elnathan, and Jared, and Elnathan, and for Nathan, and for Zechariah, and for Meshulam, chief men, also for Joyarib, and from and for Elnathan, men of understanding. And I sent them with commandment into Ido, unto Ido, the chief at the place Casiphia. And I told them that they should say unto Ido and to his brethren, the Nephinims, at the place Casiphia, that they should bring unto us ministers for the house of our Lord or our God. And by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding of the sons of Malai, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, and Sherebiah, with his sons and his brethren, 18, and Hashabiah, and with him Jeshiah, use Bill and Bob too much back in those days, of the sons of uh, Merari, his brethren, and their sons, twenty. Also of the Nethanims, whom David and the princes had appointed for the service of the Levites, two hundred and twenty Nethanims. All of them were expressed by name. And I just want to talk to you today on this little subject for not very long, hopefully, on where are the Nethanims? Where are the Nethanims? God bless you today. You may be seated. Now, while reading these dramatic events during this time of rebuilding at Jerusalem following this period of captivity in Babylon. We encounter here this strange group of people called the Nephinims. They are mentioned numerous times in the two books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And there is only one other reference in all of Scripture them, and that is in First Chronicles 9 and 2, when the Bible says, Now the first inhabitants that dwelt in their possessions in their cities were the Israelites, the priests, Levites, and the Nephites. And uh, my mind was, um, you know, I, I got curious. This is the way my mind works sometimes. And I, I wondered, well, who are they? Where did they come from? Why are they here? 
what is their purpose? Why are they mentioned so prominently in these two books? This very crucial, critical time of reconstruction. And so the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about them uh, or their background history, but I did do some research on my own. And this is what I found. Maybe you have a better information than what I was able to find, but this is what I found, that, that there is actually very little that is known about the Nethanims, but that they were very likely, at first, prisoners of war. They were captives taken during the wars that Israel fought from various nations that they fought against. Therefore, as captives, as prisoners of war, their initial duties were of the slave variety, very servile, um, and of the lowliest type that there is, because they were, they were POWs, and, and uh, this was part of the penalty. So they were pressed into service initially against their will. Now, not all of the POWs did this happen, but some of them eventually came to know and serve the God of Israel. The more they learned about God, the more they began to love Him and to want to serve Him. And they became, in time, devoted to Him. So that, uh, eventually, some of them even became what is called, what are called proselyte Jews. They became believers. They were not Jews by nationality, but they became proselyte Jews, and they adopted for themselves all of the customs and practices and way of life and so on of the Israelite because they had come to know and fear and serve the God of Israel. Uh, in time, they, uh, they became more involved in the care and the maintenance of the tabernacle. Their, their newfound love and affection and devotion drew them to the worship of the tabernacle. There were some things they were not allowed to participate in because they were proselyte Jews. They could never be priests, of course, but they contented themselves to getting as close as they could, as close to the Levites as they could as close to the priests as they could, and as close to the tabernacle as they could. And the way they did this was, is there anything that I can do around here? Whatever is permissible for me to do as a proselyte Jew, let me do it. I want to be able to serve this God who I have come to know and love, and so I want to do everything that is in my power to do. 
and everything that I am allowed and permitted to do. Praise the Lord. Eventually, these men became responsible for the gathering of water and wood for the daily sacrifices. All of the uh, custodial work, if you will, around the temple just kind of became adopted by the Nethinims. And here you read in verse 20 that David and the princes appointed them for the service of the Levites. And the reason for this was that they eventually got to where they were so trustworthy and they were so dependable that they were assigned to this very critical and important part and role around the tabernacle. To be on hand for anything that was needed by the Levites and by the priests. You understand that all the priests were of the tribe of Levi, but not all Levites were priests. And yet many of the Levites, they were involved in the uh, operation and function of the tabernacle as well, though they were not priests. Their jobs were of, of a different nature. But the Nethanims were assigned by David to this very critical role, even though they were not originally natural-born Israelites. They were not descendants of Abraham. They were transplants. They were proselytes. But their devotion was so unquestionable and their integrity was so dependable that David, who loved the house of God as much as anybody has ever loved it, and who thought as highly about the things of God as anyone has ever thought of them, who would not have left this role to anybody who was not qualified or capable, assigned it to the Nethanims. Can I just talk to you a little bit today? Therefore, they had to be conscientious. They had to be totally reliable and dependable. They couldn't be on one day and off the next. They had to be consistent. Praise the Lord. They had to be absolutely reliable in every way. And so, eventually, with this higher service that these people eventually uh, came into, came new respectability. And they became a people in their own right. There was no nation of Nethanims. In fact, originally, if you were just a proselyte Jew who, who was devoted to the things of God, you were called Nethan. But eventually, they became a people in their own right, the Nethanims. And they evidently went into captivity, some of them, along with the others of Israel. And yet when it came time to rebuild the temple and rebuild the city of Jerusalem, amen, here in this chapter, Ezra looked over the people and he looked over the priests and he said, the Bible says that he found there none of the sons of Levi. And so he continued to inquire until he found 
some of these nethanims. And he sent an ambassador to them, and many of them came, 220. And here they received the recognition that they had not really sought for, but it is recorded here anyway. And the Bible says that they were expressed, every one of them, by name. Praise the Lord. They attained a very prominent role, not because that they were uh, born into it, not because it was their right, amen, by descendancy, but because they had earned it by their devotion and dedication to the things of God. Praise the Lord. And so it is no surprise that when the need arose, they volunteered and they quickly responded to the need and they came. This was a service of love that they just could not pass up. Their heart was in it. Hallelujah. And they were happy just to be involved. Praise the Lord. There are no heroic deeds or accomplishments that are attributed to them, but suffice it to say, they were there, they did their part when it really mattered, and even though they are not mentioned again, they fulfilled a very vital service in the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord. I'm just going to talk to us here for just a few minutes. And that's all. It's going to be all. We're going to go eat. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But I, I wondered in my mind as I considered these people, where are the Nethanims today? Uh, what, what an important position and role they filled back in those days. Isn't there a need for some Nethanims today? And I thought about many of us, you know, uh, we come from varied and sometimes even chaotic backgrounds. You examine the background of every man here, some of it wouldn't be very pretty. Some of us grew up around Pentecost, but others, amen, the Lord dug right out of the muck and mire of sin. You were a nobody when you came to God. Had no endearing qualities or abilities at all. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's just call it the way it is. Uh, that, uh, you know, there's not very many engineers and rocket scientists in our churches today. There's not too many bankers and, and high city officials in our churches today. And, and the Bible itself says that, that you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Praise the Lord. I mean, the Lord scraped us up off from the most common and ordinary folk in the world today. It's no use in us strutting our stuff this evening. Hallelujah. We were in bondage one day. And God called us out of His mercy and grace. He called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And, and I know this is going to come as quite a surprise to a few folks, hopefully not many, 
But some of us actually have gotten to where we enjoy being here. We enjoy going to church. We enjoy living for God. Uh, we've gotten to where we've, we've, we've gotten to know Him a little bit. And the more we know Him, the more we love Him. And the more we love Him, the more we want to serve Him. I don't understand folks that just come to church like it's a drudgery. Church again tonight. Looking for reasons to miss church. Glad to work a little overtime so their check is a little bit bigger, even if it means missing Wednesday night Bible study. After all, all I'm going to do is go and get bored and, and fall asleep. Or the preacher might be on my case again tonight. Hallelujah! Some of us actually enjoy church. Enjoy living for God. Enjoy worshiping. Enjoy the Word of God. There's some folks that are not looking for more reasons to stay away from church. They're looking for reasons to be at church. To get as close to God and the things of God as we possibly can. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You can be seated today. Amen. I don't even understand folks that... You know, they feel like, well, I was there Wednesday night, I was there Sunday morning, I was there Sunday night, you ought to be thankful for that. Don't expect nothing more than that. But people who look for ways and reasons just to be around the house of God. Because you see, one day, at one time, hallelujah, they once were lost in sin. But Jesus took you in. Let a little light from heaven fill your soul. Bathe my heart in love and wrote my name above. Now I'm happy to be here today. I said I'm happy to be here today. Praise God, praise God. So we come from varied backgrounds, different financial and, and educational levels in life. Praise the Lord. And, uh, and yet we have found refuge and solace in the kingdom of God and around the house of God. Praise the Lord. And, and there, are, there are people, there are, are, are folks in our churches today, thank God, they, you know, don't get wrong what I'm about to say, but there are people who have absolutely no leadership, calling, or ambition. They're not aspiring to anything. They're just happy to be here. They're just thankful for their seat in the house of God. They don't care if their name is ever mentioned, ever put on the board. They don't care if they ever get in charge of any committee, if they're ever asked to teach a Sunday school class. They're just happy to be here. Happy to be a part. Happy to be involved in what God is doing. Praise the Lord. And, and when, when there is a need that arises, they are quick to jump up and say, let me do it. Let me be a part. You see, I lived for the devil with everything I had. And I gave him a hundred percent. And I gave him my time and I gave him my energy and I gave him my money. 
But now I'm here. And I don't want to cut any corners. And I want to give it all I've got. And if you need some help, all you got to do is call on me. I'm looking for reasons just to hang around the house of God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Give them a cause and they will rise to it. Give them a challenge and they will accept it. Show them a job to be done and they're going to be the first to say, let me do it. They're not going to say, I worked last Saturday. They're going to say, let me do it. Well, I can see I've lost some of you already. Praise the Lord. I'm talking about the Nephilims. A unique breed of people that are still found around the kingdom of God. They're not expecting anything. Praise the Lord. The only satisfaction they get is just the fact that they were able to do a little something. No job is too menial. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Nothing is perceived as beneath their dignity. Hey, you might be a foreman on the job. When you walk in these doors, you're still just a saint in the church. And I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. As ministries, we're, we're, we're saints too. Praise the Lord. But you leave your little credentials outside the door. You leave your badge outside the door. Don't come strutting your stuff in here. Putting on any airs of superiority. Hallelujah. I don't care how big your tithe check is. How much you put in the offering plate. Praise the Lord. You need to realize that outside of Calvary that we just heard about. Amen. You'd be on your way to hell. So you know what? I'm glad he just called me. I'm glad he counted me in the number. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. This probably isn't coming out just right, but it's the way I feel here today. Praise God. Praise God. Hey, man. I, well, you know, I've got education. And uh, I live in a bigger house than anybody else. And, uh, you know, for things like mowing the grass and cleaning the commodes, let so-and-so do that. Give me something more in line with my dignity. That's not the attitude of the Nethim. The Nethim says, if I got to push a vacuum cleaner, if I got to pick up trash around the church, if I've got to trim the hedges, hand me a paintbrush. Hey man, give me this, give me that, give me a shovel, give me a broom. Just let me do something. Around the house of God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. They dedicated themselves to be assistants to the Levites. They were at their beck and call. Any time of the day or night, just call me. I'll be here. You need it to be done, you can depend on me. I'm probably not preaching to everybody here today. But somebody knows what I'm talking about. 
And I'm going to tell you that no church can function without Him. Every church has got to have some folks in there, amen, that are not looking for acclaim and recognition and a pat on the back and an attaboy. But are they just there saying, Preacher, just tell me. Whatever it is, I'm, I'm, I'm at your service. I don't expect any credit or recognition. You don't have to mention my name Sunday morning. Just let me do something. I'm just so glad that He found me. And with love He found me. And put His arms all around me. And led me in a shelter. Praise God. Thank God for those that will do so often. Amen. At their own expense. Not expecting any compensation. I just love it when somebody puts a little deal in the offering plate because they bought a little old something for the church that cost $2.38. And they want credit for that. Did I say something wrong? Two dollars and thirty-eight cents, and they want to make sure that you get it on their tax receipt. And don't forget the thirty-eight cents either. Praise the Lord. I'm not trying to ruin this service today. But their purpose is twofold. They not only want to make sure they get full credit on the tax receipt, but they want you to know that they actually went down to the hardware store and bought a little something for the church that cost $2.38. You say, surely that doesn't happen, Brother Alviar. Oh, yes, it does. Maybe not in your church, but it's happened in mine. And several times, too. You mean when it comes to the house of God, you're counting pennies? You've got it cut down so close, you've got, it, you've got your ledger all the way down to 38 cents? You mean you measure your investment in the kingdom of God that carefully? When He gave His all on Calvary, shed His blood. Amen. Now, now we, you know, you understand what I'm saying. We, we keep a record and we give people tax receipts and they ought to get all the break they can from Uncle Sam. After all, the gamblers are everybody else, so, you know, why not? But at the same time, there's a, there's a mentality that I'm talking about here. There's a mindset. They know how many minutes they spent at a little task. And what an imposition it was on their time and schedule. That's not the spirit of the Nethanim. The spirit of the Nephilim, amen, doesn't count the time and minutes and down to the 38 cents. They're just thankful 
where they are. And that they have a chance to do a little something for the kingdom of God. They consider it an honor. This is the greatest enterprise in the whole world. Church is not just Wednesday night. And it's not just Sunday morning. And it's not just Sunday night. It's 24 hours a day. And seven days a week. And 52 weeks out of the year. I am a child of God. What can I do to advance the kingdom of God? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Give Him a hand clap of praise, will you? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Is there not a great need today for some nethonyms around church who are not seeking recognition and vain glory? Praise the Lord. Who are, are not just pursuing their own selfish motives? And agendas. It's just men here today. Let me just talk to you as men. Hallelujah. You know, this is how I feel about the kingdom of God. If you're needed around the church, it doesn't matter if you had a fishing trip planned that weekend. I know I'm about to touch the Holy Grail here. But it doesn't matter if hunting season opens tomorrow. My Levite calls and says, I need you tomorrow. Oh, I know. I'm pushing it. I'm pushing it to the limit right now. I'm not saying anything against fishing and hunting, but to some folks, it's just about on an equal plane and maybe even a little bit higher. Some of you saying amen, some of you are unable to say amen. And what if your Levite, if you'll just let me use that expression, called you just to see what your spirit is? I mean, you've done been to Walmart, you've got all the equipment, you've been sorting it all out and getting all packed up, and he calls you and says, you know what, I need you to, to do something for me tomorrow. Well, I'd love to, but I got this deal plan. Now, I'm not saying you do this often, but what if it happens? Would your attitude be, what kind of doesn't he know, doesn't he, what right does he have? This is my sacred time. I work all week long. I deserve it. I'm entitled to it. 
Why doesn't he call somebody else? Why did he have to call me? No, wait a minute. Hold on just a second. Church is not just something we do. If we really believe, if we really believe that the church is the bride of Christ, it's the body of Christ, it's the vehicle that's going to get us to heaven. If we really believe this gospel is the only gospel that can save anybody, and I believe that with all my heart. And we really believe this is a life and death situation and eternity is hanging on what we're doing. Now you see, some of us don't really believe that because we make this secondary to so many other things in our life. Not against taking time out for ourselves, having recreation, some entertainment as long as it's clean and right and moral and all of that. Not against that. And I don't think the Lord is against it. But when the need is there, what kind of an attitude are you going to have if the Levite taps on your shoulder and says, I need you this weekend? And you already had something planned. Brother, you talk about putting pastor-saint relationship to a big task. Praise the Lord. But there are those. I know it's going to come as a shock. But there are those that without hesitation, without even having to think twice about it, without giving one argument or one excuse, would say, you can count on me. Now, not everybody here fits that bill. I'm just being honest. Statistically, it ain't possible. Now, I know you're above normal and above average. Those of you that have taken time out to come to this meeting, while others that could have didn't. Amen. You are the cream of the crop already. But not everybody qualifies for what I just said. Not everybody has that kind of dedication and devotion to the things of God. All right, here's another attitude you run into. I've been around here for years. I've put in my time. Let somebody else do it. Wait just a minute. We're not talking about a job. We're talking about eternity here. We're talking about the greatest institution on the face of the earth. When is it not our job? When is it not our responsibility? At what point can we disengage ourselves from the struggle and from the battle and say, leave it to somebody else? I've put in my time.
I've done it for 15 years. Let somebody else do it. First of all, I wonder how anybody could have the gall to say that to a man of God. And yet people do. There's plenty of gall to go around, brother. This isn't my typical preaching, but it's what I feel here today. And I look around and I notice that other people aren't doing as much as I'm doing. Well, you see, that's not the attitude of the Nephilim. The Nephilim does not look around to see who else is doing it and who else isn't. All he cares about is, am I doing it? Am I participating? Am I contributing? He's not looking for retirement. As long as there's breath in his body, he wants to be a contributor. Let me do something. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. How often has the work been delayed and at times even halted? Because of those that were, amen, too busy with other pursuits. The kingdom of God was not prominent on their mind. You know, there's a few people in each assembly who actually can pick up what the pastor is feeling. And others, excuse me today, are clueless. The preacher can preach under the most intense burden. But as soon as he dismisses, they're going to pick up their stuff and go on home because it's late. They cannot feel the burden, not one little bit. But thank God for those. Amen. And and let me tell you, it's most of the time those that... that care enough to come to prayer meeting early before church. Because in their mind, church doesn't start at 7.30. It starts at 7 o'clock or whenever prayer time is. Now, now forgive me if I'm just being abrasive and obnoxious here today. That's not my intention. I'm trying to awaken the spirit of Nephim in somebody here today. If you get in that prayer room and you really pray, I'm not talking about just walking around and seeing who's there and who isn't. But if you really pray, you start getting under the burden of that service. When it comes time to come into the sanctuary, guess who's going to be worshiping? Not very likely the one that just walked in cold turkey. That happens to everybody at some point or another, I understand, but, but the chances are going to be greater that you're going to be in a far more worshipful mood if you walk in to the service out of a red-hot prayer meeting where you've been talking to God and you're getting under the burden of it. And there's something about prayer, you begin to feel what God is feeling. When it comes time to worship, hey man, you're already engaged. It doesn't take much for the tears to be in your eyes. It doesn't take much for the hands to be upraised. Nobody has to say, raise your hands. 
Nobody has to say, say praise the Lord. Say amen. It's already involuntary. It's coming up. Amen. When the man of God steps behind the pulpit and opens the Bible and begins to preach, immediately you feel something. And you begin pulling with that preacher. Some people actually resent other folks saying amen. And standing when, when somebody's preaching because it just gets in their way. I'm going to tell you, if you were really keyed in on what the preacher was preaching, amen, you wouldn't even notice how loud somebody else is saying amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Amen. But they're not sitting there just looking around. But some of them even kind of rocking back and forth in their seat. It's easy to spot the nephonyms, brother. Sometimes before you ever say what you're going to say, they're already going, whoop! Because, amen, they, they're walking together with you. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! And when He's under a burden and, and when He's straining, they're, they're, they're straining with you. They're pulling with you. And when, when it comes time for altar service, they don't have to wait for the organist to get them under the mood. They're already weeping. They're already caught up in it. This is hard to believe, but there's actually some folks that look upon that, that attitude and that spirit and that demeanor as a sign of immaturity. That's just so-and-so, you know. God has appointed me to judge. There's some folks could be good poker players on the riverboats on the Mississippi years ago. They never change expression. If they ever wiggle one eyebrow, brother, get ready. You're getting you're about to have a move of God. You know what? Even if it wasn't my nature to be all that expressive, I think that I would force myself to learn some new habits. I'm kind of getting off my subject here a little bit now. But you need to do it so that those young men sitting around you will know that you're involved. You're behind it. You're in agreement. You need to do it so that those new converts coming in won't look around and say and, and say well there's somebody's been in church for 30 years and they're not getting too excited about it so I guess I don't have to either you need to learn how to say man and wave your hand every now and then so that the new convert will learn how Lord knows I'm not just trying to be cocky and arrogant today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm talking about the spirit of the Nephilim. Where are the Nephilims today? 
Praise the Lord. When it comes time to pray around the altar, brother, they're going to pray. They're going to get in there. They're going to work up a sweat. Their shirt tails might be hanging out by the time they leave. Their hair might be messed up. They're not going to be standing propped up against the wall trying to figure out who's spiritual and who isn't. And wondering how long the pastor's going to let the service go before he closes it because after all, it's just a seven-year-old down there praying. And i got to get to work early in the morning. And if it wasn't for your rotten attitude, we might break through a little sooner. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Just waiting on the Levites. Just waiting on the Levites. That's what the Nephinims were there for. Just tell us what to do. They were just standing around ready. Just give us our assignment. Just tell us what you want us to do. We're ready. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. You can count on us. You can depend on us. Hallelujah. 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 Is there anybody still like that? In the church today. Is there anybody that loves God so much that everything else is secondary? And if you don't get to go on another fishing trip for a whole year, all you're concerned about is God send revival to our church. Give us a move of God. Our kids need it. Our grandkids need it. Our pastor's laboring. Our pastor's struggling. Lord, help me do what I can do. I'm not saying it would be necessary, but just since I've mentioned it here several times today, would you be willing to sacrifice one year's worth of fishing trips? If it meant knocking on doors some Saturdays, showing some, doing some home Bible studies, if that's what you do in your church, or whatever it else, amen, the pastor wants you to do, would you be willing to do that to have revival in your church? I'm finding out that some folks are not telling the truth in church. When the preacher's preaching about revival, they're on their feet waving their hands. But then you can't find them when it comes time to do the work. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. I'm just about done. Hallelujah. There are some that only covet the more prominent roles. Amen. And uh, nothing wrong with that. But, but what if the Lord says no? Or what if the Levite says no? Here's what often happens. If I can't, if I can't preach, if I can't lead songs, if I can't play music on the platform, if I can't be a special singer, then I'm not going to do nothing. They are the nothing-ins. 
if they can't do what they really want to do, they're just going to disengage, disconnect, and you're not going to even get an amen out of it. I thought that's what I was doing, but... David wanted more than anything else to build a house for the Lord. And the Lord said, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. I'm not going to let you do it. So David thought about what he could do. He spent the rest of his days dedicating himself to getting all the materials. When it comes time, and if God will let my son do it, I want all the materials that he possibly will need to be right here. And you know what? David didn't get an attitude about it. He praised God. And this is what he thanked God for. That God's hand was upon him and his house. And that the promises of God were on him for many generations. You know what his attitude was? You know what? I, I just get to go to church. And my kids are going to grow up around the things of God. And, and my grandkids. Can I tell you something, dear brother? This is completely off the subject, but there is absolutely no reason, no justification, nothing, nothing, nothing that your pastor could say to you in terms of of his leadership over your life and maybe telling you you can do this, you can't do that. There's absolutely nothing that he could say to you that isn't unbiblical. You know what I'm talking about. That is worth you getting upset enough to uproot your family and your children and take them away from the influence of the presence of God. Nothing. Just because your feelings are hurt, just because your spirit is bruised, don't deny your children the right and the opportunity and the thrill of being able to stay close to the things of God. I, I've told this story in our church several times. It, uh, it happened to a good friend of mine, and I think it might fit right here, and I'm going to try to close here in just a few moments. But my good friend, Brother Ron Garrett from Phoenix, Arizona, tells that years ago when he was just a teenager in the church, about 15 years old or so, his dad, who is was kind of a stately, dignified sort of man to look at him, they were 
in the church, Brother Von Morton was their pastor. And Brother Von Morton, if you know him, can be a wild man. You know, as, as we judge those things, he can just, you never know what he's going to do. And uh, he can run this way, that, jump, holler, scream, anything. I've seen him throw himself flat down in his belly, preaching. So he can do all kinds of, you don't know what he's doing. And one day, he was preaching in a big way, and he was walking down through the congregation. And his dad, Brother Garrett's dad, was sitting there, and I've, I've had opportunity to meet him in the last few years, but his dad was sitting there, and as Brother Morton went by him, he grabbed Brother Garrett's dad by the hair of the head and shook him. Just shook him for no reason and just went on. And his dad was sitting there, his hair all messed up now. And Brother Ron Garrett said, it embarrassed me so bad for my dad. He said, I hurt him. He said, I wanted to cry. And, and uh, so when the service was over, they got in the car and they were on their way home. And nothing was being said. But it was on their minds. It was on Brother Ron Garrett's mind. And finally he couldn't stand anymore. And he said, Dad, he said, about what Brother Morton did today. And he said, quick as a flash, his dad wheeled around and he said, you shut your mouth. He said, that good man of God never hurt me. So he's the man that prays for us, that preaches to us, that's kept our family saved. He didn't do one thing to hurt me, and don't you say one word about him. It was a defining moment in the life of Brother Ron Garrett. It cemented his relationship, not just with his pastor, or with his dad, but with his pastor. And he went on to become a great preacher, pastors a great church today. That was a moment that saved him. There is absolutely no justification for you to say anything or take any action that would demean your pastor in the eyes of your family. You will pay for it so dearly in years to come. Even when those kids are little, they are listening to what you are saying. The attitude that you present when you're on your way home from church forms an impression, Brother Archer. You were talking about an impression last night. It forms an impression in their mind about the man of God that later on they might be able to overcome if it's a negative impression, but it will be only with great difficulty. And many of them never do overcome it. They grow up and they become rebels. And you know why they're rebels? Because their parents were rebels. I've had younger people in my office, Brother Alexander, and I'm sure you have too that in counseling with them, they have repeated word for word things that had already been said to me by older people in the church. 
And so I knew they got that from somewhere. Praise the Lord. You will not go wrong if you have a good man of God as your pastor to firmly establish in the minds of your family and your children the importance of that man in their life. Come on here today. I know this isn't my subject. And, and it might sound like preacher worship to you, but that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. It's the office, brother. And it's like I heard somebody say the other day, maybe it was at the meeting last week, amen, where, where there was an officer that, that had been disrespected by a junior uh, member of the military. And the man took off his hat with the insignia of his military rank and set it up on a post and stood that other man there and made him salute it. Amen. For a long time he said, it's not the man, it is the office. Lord, I'm way off my subject now. But I'm going to add a little more to that. It's not also just the office. God called the man. And every man that God calls has his own distinct personality and individuality. None of the preachers you've heard, amen, so far in this meeting are just like each other. Even both Brother Archers preached a little different. I think that for you to be saved, you also need to learn how to fall in love with the man of God. Not just the office. Well, I'll respect him because he's my pastor, but I don't like him as a man. I think you've got a bad attitude. I think your heart is wrong. All you're doing is making yourself feel better, but your heart is still wrong. Come on here today. Can you give me about ten more minutes and I'll be done? That's why I have said this often and I really do believe it. I think that if you are a member of a church, it's not enough to call, amen, that man your preacher. And they make little, you know, they, they use it in kind of a snide way. Well, you heard what the preacher said the other day. Now, you better watch it. You better be careful. You heard what the preacher preached. You're never going to be saved. I'm just going to stand flat-footed on this platform and tell you, with that kind of an attitude, you never will be saved. I think it's got to get to the point where you can say, that's my pastor. That's my pastor. I'm sorry that wasn't in my notes, but I felt it anyway. We need folks in the church that can feel the burden of the pastor. And if it's time for revival, and you know what we mean by that, revival is more than just numerical growth. But there are times when God begins to lead a church into a different realm, into a higher plane. Pastor begins to preach with an added burden, with an added weight on his shoulders. Instead of folks sitting back watching, well, we've been through all this before. You need to get under that weight. Let's see where God's going to lead us. Let's see what's going to come from this. 
God give us men who are nethanims. Amen. Where just a glance sometimes is enough. They know what they need to do. Just a word, just a gesture. They're already moving. They're so closely connected with the Levites. They know what's coming next. And they're ready. They're waiting. I'm telling you, the man of God is important to a church. But he can't get it done by himself. I said he can't get it done by himself. It takes men who are dedicated, who are committed, who are conscientious, who are dependable, who have integrity, who are consistent week in and week out. Can you say praise the Lord? Hallelujah. You can be seated for a couple more minutes and I'm going to be done. But nephilims are not deterred by the recalcitrance in others. In other words, they don't look around and if, ever, if, if other folks are not really getting connected and involved, they're not deterred by that. If somebody else isn't going to do it, they are. Just stand aside because they're going to do it. And they're not going to do it with an attitude. That says I'm better than everybody else because I'm doing it. They're just going to do it because it needs to be done. And because they have a love for the things of God. And they want to do it. They're not going to do it to prove a point to somebody else who's carnal. Look how carnal you are. Look how spiritual I am. They're just going to do it because it needs to be done. Is it that complicated? Praise the Lord. And so their attitude is if they have to do all the work. They're going to do it without whining, without complaining, without calling the pastor up and saying, I'm tired of doing all the work around here. Nobody else does anything. They're just going to pray that God will add some more nethanims to the church. They're not going to feel bad at anybody. Because their heart 